Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we will all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are they not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons, and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this, your word. I pray that you would help me as I proclaim it today, that your spirit would move among us, showing us areas of our lives where we need to address issues. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week we are picking up where we left off two weeks ago in our series of foundational triads regarding angels and demons. We looked last time at the general biblical doctrine, and this week we're going to be moving on to uh, demonic goals and activities. In Granite Falls on Stanley Street, right next to the Tom Thumb Mart, uh, there is a sign advertising the Damascus Masonic Temple. Now, the reason they call this a temple is because the people who are attending meetings there believe that they are obeying a supreme deity who tells them how they need to order their lives in order to earn salvation. They're essentially coming there to worship and to learn about that deity, believing that they will find purpose and happiness in doing so. The only problem is that the deity that they are obeying is not the God of the Bible. This temple is a blatant example of what we call idolatry, which is the practice of worshiping anything besides Jehovah God. But there are other temples that are scattered throughout Lake Stevens that are a little bit less blatant than this, a little more subtle. There's a temple down by the lake called Biscuit and Bean, where some go to worship the idol of gluttony. Right next to it, there's a temple called Wells Fargo where some bow down to an idol called false security. Half a mile away from there is a temple called the Lake Stevens Athletic Club, where worshipers go to pay homage to the idol of image control. Paul the Apostle calls these temples tables here in our text. And we see instruction and warning being given to the church in Corinth, by the way, a city that was uh, filled with idols, and he's teaching them about the dangers of these idolatry tables. Each of us can easily find ourselves bellying up to a table of our favorite idol. But we should consider Paul's warnings about what actually takes place at these tables. And so let's go through the text here and see four main facts. The first fact is that an idol is nothing in and of itself. Uh, we see this in verse... Um, 19 here he says what do i imply then that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything paul makes it clear that there is no such thing as an idol he points out that there is no god called zeus or jupiter 
These entities do not really exist because there is only one God. But when humans expose themselves to pagan worship, they are coming into contact with something even more dangerous. They are interacting with demonic powers. And these demons have two main goals in mind. The first goal that they have is that humans would worship them. This is the same goal as their leader, Satan. They want people that are created in the image of God to bow down and worship them. We get this information from two places in Scripture. First, we see in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the 14th chapter here. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And so in this passage, we see that Lucifer desired to be like God, to be worshipped and receive that worship, but he was cast out of heaven. We see this desire for worship in his interaction with Jesus as well during his uh, fast time in the wilderness, as recorded in Matthew 4, 8-9. through 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And so the fallen angels are hungry to steal worship away from God. Now some might have the question that comes to mind, what about God? Isn't he a bit of a narcissist as well, always insisting that people worship him only? We actually see him command worship in scriptures like Luke 4, 8, where Jesus is responding to Satan's demand for worship. Jesus says, worship the Lord God and serve him only. A command here. The reason this seems so strange to us is that we despise people like this who are always trying to get a compliment so they can feel better about themselves. We scold selfish children who get mad when they're not the solitary focus in a family gathering. We begin to shun people that never ask us about how we're doing but seem to go on and on about their own accomplishments and abilities. We label them megalomaniacs. And so the question is, is God the ultimate megalomaniac? He would be if he was insufficient in some way, needing approval from us to shore up his fragile ego. But God doesn't need anything from us. We see this in Acts 17.25, where it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples made by human hands. Nor is he served by human hands, as if he needed anything because he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And so, this is the ultimate reason why we praise him. He needs nothing, but provides us everything. Satan and his minions are the extreme opposite to this. They hunger for worship in order that they might feel significant, yet they have nothing to give us in return. The second goal for demons is to destroy you, kill you, They want to destroy everything in you that reflects the glory of God and causes people to praise him. What delight it must give Satan to see some man lying in the gutter drunk, or to see some young lady popping pills in order to kill herself. 
Consider demonic possession. Throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus here interacting with demon-possessed people. And they were all in a terrible state. One loving father brought his son who was possessed by a demon to Jesus so that Jesus could cast out the demon. Listen to the condition the boy was in as recorded in Matthew 17, 15. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And so the de demon was causing him great suffering, trying to kill him by drowning him or burning him to death. Or what about the Gerasene demoniac? What was his life before Jesus freed him? Mark uh, 5, 3-5 says, This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Not much of a life, right? The second fact here is that demons cannot give you what you want. One of the problems about worshiping an idol is that it can't actually do what you ask it to do. The main reason people go to idols, whether they be a statue of some kind uh, or uh, because of the everyday life kind of idols that we uh, all worship, uh, they believe that somehow they will be saved through worship of this idol. Sacrifices are made to appease Buddha, maybe a sacred bull, dead relatives or other idols that worshipers uh, bow down to. And they believe they will receive blessings in this life and immortality in the hereafter. But what about those idols that are not physical statues? For example, when we offer our, ourselves up to the idol of earthly security, we hope the same thing, placing our trust in something beside God. We offer the sacrifice of time, money, energy toward this thing, thinking it's going to save us or make things better. This is what we think, even though we may not come out and say it, because we are hoping for blessings in this life. We want things to go well. We want to be happy. We want to limit the pain in our lives. And you know what? Satan will give us comfort for the moment if he can convince us to turn from the table of God. I will give you all this if you bow down and worship me, he told Jesus. But it's very important to remember that a demon's power is limited and temporal. It has power granted by God and is in fact a created being that can only act within certain parameters that it's allowed. Let's get one thing clear. The devil is not on the same level as God. This is the great lie that has been propagated in the Star Wars series. The dark side of the force is just as powerful as the light side, and you can gain access to either one, power from either one. The devil is not going to be in charge of hell. He's not going to be down there poking people with a pitchfork. He's going to be suffering the most. The third fact is that we cannot partake of two tables. Scripture shows how this is impossible because we will hate one and serve the other. This is a supernatural law. We cannot eat from the table of the Lord and Satan's table. We see this in verse 21. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. And so, basically, we cannot serve the flesh and the spirit. It would be like joining the army on both sides, hoping that we get benefits 
uh, from whatever side wins, right? The problem is, is that in this war, all traitors of God will be discovered and punished. The main difference between the two tables is that only one of these tables can actually nourish you, while the other one has no nutritional value. Now, Paul makes it clear in this text that the table of the Lord is the communion table of Christ. Here we recognize that there are blessings that we receive from the Lord's table. Forgiveness, faith, grace. This is what we call a sacrament, where the spiritual touches the physical. This is something we need because we're not just physical beings. But be warned, he will not bless us if we come to the table directly from having eaten from the table of demons. Forgive me, but it's like coming home to your husband smelling like the cologne from another lover. His presence in the elements is there uh, not only to bring blessing, but also judgment to those who are coming from the demonic table. We drink damnation unto ourselves, and that's why many were sick and dead among Paul's, uh, uh, the church that he was speaking to there. And so what is it that we are partaking of at the table of demons? Well, nothing smells like death, like maggots. But when we eat with demons, it's like seeing a wonderful jelly donut and then taking a bite and seeing that it's filled with death, not jelly. And that is what is served at the table of demons, death. It looks great until we take a bite. You know, your flesh is dead, and demons seek to feed the flesh, not the spirit. It's not very difficult to discern when we've been feasting from the table of demons because we are in the flesh when we do so. Our flesh does not want to serve God, and so demons focus on the weaknesses that are inherent among us. They target those. And one way to recognize the flesh is that it wants what it wants and it throws a fit when it doesn't get it. Can we touch the unclean after we've handled the body and blood of Christ? An illustration that would be helpful is that of Thorwaldsden, the sculptor, who would not carve the Venus de Milo uh, because he had sculpted Christ. The fourth fact is that the Lord is jealous. He is our husband. He knows what we need. We need him because he's the one that died for us. The devil or a demon did not die on the cross for your sins. Jesus will not share us with the one who will harm us. Our husband is powerful and will do whatever he can to try to keep us at home, but he will not force us because he wants us to love him voluntarily. Now, even though he loves us more than any man or woman could love another person, he will not tolerate an unfaithful wife. Because his love is that much greater, his jealousy is also that much greater. Imagine being at a restaurant on a date with your wife, and during the meal, uh, she gets up and begins to switch back and forth between tables with you and some other guy. You wouldn't put up with that for a moment. But for those of us who are eating at the table of demons, this is exactly what's happening. And throughout the Old Testament, God was angry with Israel for their unfaithfulness with the different pagan countries around him, the different demons that were behind those idols. And eventually, he gave them a certificate of divorce. Practical issues for today. The main reason we are drawn to worship all these things around us and set them up in the place of God is because they are visible. 
whereas God is not visible. Uh, his, he is spirit, and we begin to long for something tangible. If I worship the idol of self-image, I can look in the mirror and I can see my muscles getting bigger. I can see my waistline getting smaller. I can uh, see my skin getting tanner. If I worship the idol of greed, I can see that bank account getting bigger. It's tangible. Isaiah the prophet marveled that the Israelites did not have the sense to recognize that the idol that they bowed down to uh, is made of the same stuff that they cooked their food over, wood. Today, let us marvel at the fact that we bow down to things that are so temporal. All that wealth, all that security that you've stored up could be wiped out in a moment if the market crashed. And that beautiful face of yours, it could get disfigured in a moment in a car wreck. There is only one that does not change, and he must be the fixed point of our worship. In conclusion today, so my question for you this morning is this, how do you smell? Are you carrying the scent of cologne from a date with a demon? And remember, his cologne choice is not Eternity by Calvin Klein, it's Ode de Maggot. A quick shower is not going to take care of that stench, and the Lord doesn't want you coming home smelling like that at his table this morning. But there is something that will take care of it. It's the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he can wash you whiter than any shower ever could. All you need to do is come to him and ask for his forgiveness for being unfaithful. How sorry you are that you've cheated on him. But this calls for also a radical change of heart. Can we walk out this morning and quickly return to the table of demons? Are we stronger than him? Than him? Paul asks the Corinthians here. Can we walk away from the divorce having won the house, the dog, and the custody of the kids? No, we cannot. We will be left utterly de desolate if we choose to make our home with the devil. And so I invite you to come and be cleansed today. Come back to your true husband, Jesus Christ. And Father God, I pray that you would help us to recognize uh, when we are drawn away from your table of grace and mercy to the temporal, tangible tables in front of us, to be drawn to worship other things besides you, the one who can give us supreme satisfaction. And so, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.